the RBA's yield curve control policy is out of control. So do they abandon it? Have they already abandoned it? And what does it mean for the RBA policy generally? We don't have to wait too long for that. Will they bring rates forward? The markets assume they will. Do we listen to the markets or do we listen to the RBA? And this week, as bond movements go crazy everywhere on inflation news, the Fed and the Bank of England also meet this week. It's going to be quite a busy week, isn't it? It's Monday, the 1st of November, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Yes, bonds still very much on the move. Another 24 basis points added to 10-year bond yields in Australia on Friday, getting up to 2.09%. That is up 60 basis points last month, up to a two-and-a-half-year high. Two years were up 24 basis points on Friday alone. And those April 2024 bonds, the root of all of this, rose 57 basis points in just two days, up to 0.78%. So it's going to be an interesting week for the RBA. But it's not just an Australian story, of course, although 10-year treasuries in the US actually fell three basis points on Friday, down to 1.55%, having started the month seven basis points lower, whilst two- and five-year yields over the month gained 22 basis points, and 30 years lost 11 basis points, so we've got a somewhat flatter curve. And the UK, two, two-year yields were up six basis points on Friday, up 30 basis points over the month. So bonds have certainly woken from their slumber. Meanwhile, the US dollar carries on. We had a 0.8% boost on Friday on the DXY, giving it a very marginal rise over the month. That hurt the euro on Friday, down more than 1%. The pound down 0.8%. The Aussie was down a third of 1%, but over the month was uh, up more than 3.5%, whereas the euro was a third of 1% down over the month. And the Aussie uh, was the best-performing G10 currency last week, managing to stay above that 75-cent mark. Equities finished on a high, oblivious to what's going on. The Nasdaq up a third of 1% on Friday, but up 6.4% over the month. The S&P 500 climbed 5 0.7% in October, the Dow was up 4.3%. And any hope that oil had peaked? Well, that sort of disappeared at the end of the week because WTI was up 0.9%. Brent moved up a little as well, but both are still below where they peaked on uh, Tuesday last week. So what's going on? A lot is the answer, isn't it? It's going to be quite a week. The RBA, we've got the Fed, we've got the Bank of England. Changes are expected in every case. But let's start with the RBA tomorrow with Rodrigo Catrill from NAB in Sydney. Uh, no move from them on Friday on those April 2024 bonds, despite the market sell-off. So does that mean they have now abandoned their yield control curve or they're going to focus on another bond with a, a different timeline, like uh, maybe push things back a, a year? What's going to happen? Morning, Phil. Yes, um, I suppose that that's the big theme. Uh, we've seen um, front-end yields, you know, increase in volatility around the world uh, as, uh, you know, inflation data prints a lot stronger than expected. Um, and as you say, locally, uh, the market was very focused on um, on whether the RBA was going to come on Friday and bid, you know, the, the uh, April 2024 bond, which is the yield curve control bond, um, and then the fact that they didn't come uh, essentially uh, was treated as a signal that the RBA is now ready to to give up on its yield curve control policy. Um, and then, as you say, the the, the the bond in particular just skyrocketed to 73 basis points. So um, uh, we, along with other uh, banks, have also kind of issued a sort of a new look or outlook in terms of the RBA policy. And our expectations now is that uh, on Tuesday, the, the RBA will confirm that it no longer uh, holds the yield curve control policy. So they're giving, so they're giving it, it's not um, a good look for a central bank, is it? Because in effect, they've, they've effectively said, well, we've given into the market on this, haven't they? 
Well, I suppose the, the RBA would, would suggest that um, it's always been a guidance. It's not been a, a promise, you know, unconditional promise, if you like. And, uh, and they would also argue that it's always been a data-dependent guidance, um, which sometimes gets lost in the air, I think. But uh, um, it's always been, and even the, the, the commitment to keeping the cash rate at 0.1% uh, until 2024 is very much in the view that they don't see inflation rising uh, on a permanent basis. Um, you know, to the two, three percent band, and they also don't see wages reaching above three percent level, which is a condition they see as a requirement for inflation to remain elevated for so were, a persistent were, period. Were they worried so, about just how many uh, bonds they'd have to buy? If they were going to continue with it, you know, just the sheer volume they'd have to keep it under control, uh, or was it just you know the recognition that inflation is here? And if it is that, then surely that means they're going to have to change their approach significantly tomorrow, aren't they? They, they are going to have to talk about rate hikes coming forwards, presumably. Um, well, I think that the, the, the yield curve controlled policy, um, in a sense, is, is become a little bit dysfunctional, if you like, because what we're seeing is that uh, the market is pushing uh, front end yields higher around the globe. Um, and the, um, you know, the Australian curve has been essentially ping in this one particular bond, uh, but the rest of the curve is actually rising significantly. Um, so. Um, to some extent, the, the, the yield curve control policy is not really being effective um, unless, as you say, the, the central bank was to come and start buying not only that bond, but will have to buy bonds around that bond to make sure that it keeps that, that, that pressure on, on front-end yields. Um, but the, the force that we've seen from, from markets, uh, not just in Australia, but around the globe, is, is huge. Um, uh, so there's an element there that is, there's no point in, in trying to do that, whilst at the same time, there also needs to be a recognition uh, by the central bank that, you know, that the activity data is, is actually proven to to be, uh, you know, a lot stronger than, than expected. There, there are um, not only in Australia, but around the globe, clear um, inflationary pressures. Um, and therefore, it, it's difficult to, for, for the RBA to remain committed to that 2024 guidance given that it's likely that things are happening a lot quicker than it's Well, the market's expecting next year now, aren't they? That's, uh, so uh, uh, are, we, so are they going to make a big change then? Do you think there's, there's going to be... Yeah, a so, so I think that, that that's quite an important uh, uh, point to make because as much as we, for instance, see that, that things are happening a lot quicker, um, our economists, when they run the numbers and rerun the numbers, they still think, well, it's more likely a 2023 story rather than a 2022. And at the moment, when you see the, the magnitude of, of pricing movements in Australia, it's quite significant. You know, we, we essentially, the market is telling us that they believe that it believes that the, the cash rate in Australia will end up higher uh, next year compared to, to the Fed, for instance. Um, so, so that's quite an aggressive sort of price profile. Uh, which at the moment is not consistent with what we see happening in the economy next year. Um, so uh, as much as there, there, there will be a, a, a new sort of approach by the RBA, if you like, on Tuesday with the end of YCC, we think that they will still reaffirm the view that they don't see uh, rate hikes next year, and they still think that they're probably more likely to be uh, around the middle of 2023. 
unless inflation gets higher, presumably. So, um, and we saw, uh, and obviously it's a supply and demand thing, isn't it? It's, the, it's, it's the, the problem of getting stuff to people, but people demanding more. So that's pushing prices higher. And of course, the same thing happening with, with, with labour, the demand for labour, and uh, it's just not there in the right jobs. But we saw in Australia, we saw retail sales rising, as you'd imagine, as you come out of a lockdown. But is that, uh, is that going to push inflation higher? Uh, or is it, which we might be seeing elsewhere, is it actually going to subside demand because people look at the higher prices so it sort of almost does part of the work for central banks? It's a bit of a quandary for central banks, isn't it? Do they, do they say, OK, we've got to calm things down now or is inflation already calming things down? Well, yeah, so at the moment our sense is that the, the solid uh, retail sales numbers that we had in September it's, it's sort of a, an indication of what is yet to come. Uh, and um, if, if the consumer is coming out, you know, quite solidly out of the reopening that we're seeing, uh, then that means that um, it probably will encourage, um, you know, uh, producers and sellers to actually lift prices, particularly in the face of limited, um, you know, supply. Um, so to us, it, it, it does play to the view that Q4 and Q1 next year, I likely to see you know significant rises in in, in the headline inflation. Um, but to your point, the, the the big sort of question for for central banks, not only in Australia but around the globe, is that well, is this are these inflationary pressures likely to be persistent? It still remains to be seen. Uh, but in countries like uh, in the U.S., for instance, we're already seeing those wage pressures, which is a sort of a big big sort of factor that tells you that inflationary pressures are probably going to be more persistent. Um, in Australia, we're going to have to wait for November 17th for that wage price index to come. Uh, but certainly there, there are indications that, um, you know, the labour market will will improve significantly now that we've reopened. Well, yeah, but my other point was, does, does a rise in prices hit GDP as well? So if we look at uh, what's happening in Europe, CPI was very high. We had 4.1% was the headline number for the Eurozone on Friday, core inflation at 2.1%. Uh, and obviously there's a question about what the ECB is going to do for that um, uh, th- this week. But we also saw uh, GDP growth uh, starting to slow down a little bit as well, didn't we? Um, so 2.2% for Q3 uh, is, is OK, but in places like Germany, it's starting to slow. So overall across Europe, it's, it's still on the rise. But Germany, it's starting to slow. So Q3 GDP was only 1.8% up. So is that inflation that's that's causing that or is it just people can't get stuff? What's causing the economy to slow, I wonder? Well, yeah, it's probably a bit of both. So, so there's this idea of demand destruction that gets created by, by the rise in prices. And, and certainly there's a bit of evidence uh, occurring. Uh, and, and as you say, Germany is a good example of that. Um, the other thing which I'm sure we were going to touch on is that the, the weakness in Germany it may also be a little bit of a signal of what's going on in China. Uh, we got to remember that Germany is very much a, a, an export-led economy, if you like, uh, and the, um, the slowdown that we've seen in China has continued. And, and at this stage, uh, you know, it's probably still needs to get a little bit worse before it gets better in terms of the data flow. Uh, and, and that will be an important factor for not only commodities, but for export-led countries such as Germany. So price is going up because we can't get it to where it's needed, where there's the demand is one thing. But um, but wage inflation. So we saw, for example, the uh, the employment cost index from the US Bureau of Labor Statistics. 
uh, on Friday, 1.3% up for the quarter to September. That's 3.7% over the, the, the last 12 months, 4.1% for those in the private sector. So, I, I mean, the, 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 which is the biggest spike since 1982. I mean, that could be a blip, couldn't it? You know, and it could, as people settle into the right jobs, that goes away. There's a danger, though, that, that when you're looking at uh, employment, it could cascade. Yeah, so that's, that's the big question, right? So is, is, the, is the labor market mm. tight because of this mismatch, if you like, and timing of reopening and, and, and people not yet kind of being ready to come back to the, to, to the labor force? Or is it really a genuine sort of tightening that is here to stay? And if, if that's the case, then it will certainly put pressure on the Fed to act on it uh, and, and sort of vindicate the pricing expectations that the, the, the market sees the Fed uh, lifting the, the, the Fed funds rate uh, by the middle of, of next year. Um, so we need a bit more time. We need more, more data to confirm that this is, is indeed a permanent issue. You know, many, many think that now that we've seen the, the, the economy reopen and now that we've seen, you know, those uh, um, uh, government incentives of, uh, for, for workers fading, then more people will come back to the labor force and we will see an increase in supply and therefore these wage pressures will ease. Um, but it remains to be seen. And, and until we, we see that evidence that the market will continue to push for, for rate hikes coming sooner than expected. Now, uh, you did mention China. Uh, and uh, yeah, we saw softer manufacturing PMIs over the weekend, 49.2. So another month in contraction for uh, Chinese manufacturing. There's no way in the world we'd see this year panning out the way it has, is there, at the beginning of this year? No, and it's a reminder of what's really going on in China. There's, there's a few headwinds, if you like, going against the Chinese economy at the moment. We all know what's going on in the, in the property sector, and, and that remains unresolved. There, there are sort of improvements in terms of um, some of those potential default risk, but the reality is there's still a huge restructuring that needs to, to occur. There's still a huge deleveraging that needs to occur within the property sector, and that means slower growth. It means less activity. Um, so that's one one headwind. The other one, of course, is that China's still very much of a policy of, of, of fighting, if you like, COVID rather than learning to live with it. And, and, and that continues to be a source of uh, shutting down and restricting activity. And, and if anything, the, the latest PMI shows how um, the, the holiday period, if you like, during October was very much restricted because of these policies. So uh, the, the COVID policy at this stage doesn't look like we'll be changing anytime soon. So that will be a headwind that is here to stay for a little bit longer. Um, and then I suppose finally, there's also the regulatory side that, that is also playing uh, a little bit of a headwind for, for the economy as well, uh, which again, hasn't gone away just yet. So, um, so the outlook, the outlook at least near term for China is, uh, and, and I forgot the energy crunch as well. So that's four, four, four factors. So the outlook at least for Q4, uh, and maybe parts of Q1 still looks a bit challenging for China. And, and I think that, the rest of the global economy needs to be sort of ready for for that to be reflected in the, in the in the data as well. Just the four, you haven't got number five. You know, just like what have the Romans ever done for us? Uh, look, it's <laughs> uh, it's a uh, busy day, isn't it? A busy week. We've got the uh, the Fed and the Bank of England, of course. We haven't got time to talk about it later, but we will later on in the week. Uh, it looks like in the Japan election, uh, Mr. Kishida has uh, held the majority according to the uh, against expectations, according to the exit polls. Uh, the G20, the leaders have agreed to a minimum fifteen percent corporate tax to be enforced by twenty twenty three. Normally, that would be big news. Today, we haven't got time to talk about it. We've got to move on. But good to talk. Catch you again soon. Thanks, Phil. Cheers. Enough new news for you there. And we'll have a load more tomorrow morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Catch you then. Thanks for listening. <laughs>